This is the Cross of Grace Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. On February 23rd, 2020, we gathered to worship on the last Sunday after Epiphany. Pastor Mark Havel preached on the transfiguration of our Lord as presented in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became a dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll build you three dwelling places, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud that said, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground because they were overcome by fear. Jesus came, and he touched them, and he said to them, Get up, and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they made their way back down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. So this transformation gospel is not one of my favorite gospel stories to preach on. Before we left for Haiti and Pastor Aaron and I were talking about who would preach when next or whatever, um, I thought about not preaching the day after a week-long trip in Haiti. But then I thought, if I can't find something to say about Jesus' mountaintop experience after spending a week on the mountains of Fondois, then maybe I should find something else to do with my time. I always wonder, when it comes to this story, how it plays, and how I wonder about um, what questions it raises, particularly among cynics and skeptics, with all of its dazzling clothes and Old Testament ghosts and talking clouds. And I worry about that because I've asked some of those questions myself more than once over the years. What I mean is, I think that this is weird, strange, and hard to believe, frankly, this transfiguration story. But the gist of what happened on that mountaintop wasn't just a magic show. Matthew's Gospels very dramatically putting Jesus into his rightful place among the great prophets of God, right up there with superstars like Moses and Elijah. And his disciples, just like the rest of us, are meant to make note of that, to take what happens on that mountain with Moses and Elijah and Jesus to heart and to wonder about what it might mean for the big picture of God's plan for the world. When Jesus says, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead, as they're walking down the mountain, they and we are supposed to wonder about what awaits him then as they make their way down that hill, as he so faithfully chooses to leave the mountaintop and head so obediently toward Jerusalem and toward the cross and toward his own undoing at Calvary. Because what was next for Jesus and what is next for us is even more unbelievable than what happened on the mountain. What was going to happen was that Jesus would be crucified, 
He would be arrested first. He would be denied and betrayed by his closest friends. He would be um, whipped and beaten and mocked and spit upon and all those other horrible things before he died and then was raised from the dead. Because Jesus was showing, I believe, that is in all of this struggling and sacrifice and struggle that real transfiguration and true transformation and meaningful change happens. It's on all of this that our faith is to rest. I mean, not just on mysticism, not just on myth, not just on miracles, not just on magic, but on real life, down and dirty, relationships between God and God's people and between God's people and one another. That's what I hope our discipleship is all about. Reminding ourselves and each other and reminding the world that God is not just up in the clouds or hanging around on mountaintops. In Jesus, God has been and God is always down here in our midst with us in our suffering and in our struggle and in our sacrifice too. And God invites us to do all of that, to suffer, to struggle, to sacrifice for and with others in this world just the same. Because transfiguration, transformation, change aren't just for Jesus. Those disciples were meant to be transfigured that day on the mountain too. And all this came to life in a new kind of meaningful way for me this past week in Fondois. I saw this passage in some really down-to-earth ways that were a check on my cynical, skeptical um, thoughts about it all over the years. And that happened just by paying attention to what we experienced with our friends in Haiti. So with this gospel spinning around in my brain all week, this is how I heard it anew for a change. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and Ben and Lily and Dave and Pastor Mark and Haley too, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. But Jesus became darker, too. Very literally, black and brown, I mean. He looked like Luke Nair, our guide and our translator, who had so many answers and so much patience for all of our questions along the way. And Jesus looked like Sister Claudette, kind and quiet and humble sort of servant. And he laughed like Sterling, and he prayed like Jezula. He was wise, too, like Sine, and he was as strong as Jiber. That guy with the bags hoofs it up and down the mountainside daily, and he's older than most of us in this room. Suddenly, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. So that a lot of things made sense for them in a new way. With Jesus in the company of those ancient prophets and servants of God, suddenly all of his talk, 
about release for the captives, about freedom for the oppressed, about the year of the Lord's favor, were more meaningful than they had been before. And all that stuff about being salt of the earth and light for the world, and about how the meek would inherit the earth, about how those who mourn would be comforted, and about how the last would be first and the first would be last, all of that meant something new and better and different too. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll build three dwelling places, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Jamelin said, it is so good for us to be here. I think we should build 40 houses in three years, just for starters. One for the Derelian family. Another one for Victor's wife, who doesn't know exactly how old she is. One for Eddie and for Elian and for Elise. And one for the Silvera family, too. Haitians are going to do most of the work. We'll help where we can, but we'll have support from people and from places as far away as New Palestine, Indiana. While she was still speaking, because those of you who know Jamelin know she's often still speaking, suddenly a great cloud overshadowed them, and they were overcome regularly by the beauty that surrounded them in that place. All those mountains and valleys, all those hills and high places, and the stories they tell of the highs and the lows, of the struggles and celebrations of the people who live and move and breathe in those mountains with such courage, with more grace and faith and hope and love than there are words to describe. And a voice came from heaven that said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when they heard this, they fell to the ground and they were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, Get up and do not be afraid. And they were reminded over and over and over again by those they would meet in homes, and at building sites, and on the playground at school that they built, and in worship, of course, that it was God doing this work. It was God answering the prayers of the people. It was God who was alive and well in their lives and in Fondwa and for the sake of the world. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. The disciples didn't catch it because they couldn't know what we know. But in spite of what's come for Jesus, his crucifixion, his death, and his burial, there might have been a hint of a smile on his lips and a wink in his eye when he said that because he hoped for what we know to be true, that the Son of Man has indeed already been raised from the dead. So they were invited to be changed, to be transfigured, to be transformed themselves, and not to be afraid in the same way as they once were, or that we are all tempted to be afraid so much of the time. And they were allowed to leave the mountain with a different kind of command than those first disciples heard. 
they were allowed to leave the mountain with the command to tell anyone and everyone with ears to hear about all the things that they had shared and received. By God's grace and with gratitude for their friends in Fondois. The stuff of grace and generosity and gratitude, I mean. For blessings too numerous to count. For blessings that must be shared in order to change the world with the love of Jesus as he intends. Amen.